Thanks, Pastor Heather. Um, guys, I just want to say welcome back to the Hiddle House. Um, one of the things that I am loving about this season is that as we are doing church from a bunch of different places, it really is showing me that our church is not about a building, but it's about God's people. So wherever you are today, I'm thinking of like the Carlsons, the Carries. I know the Masties are on this morning. I know my, my dad's here today. So thank you everyone for who is here. I just want to say happy Easter. Um, and to all of our guests online who, like I said before, who've maybe never been here before, thanks for joining us. As we've been getting ready for this Easter Sunday, we've had to do a lot of creative things. I'm trying to figure out how can we make Easter a little more joy-filled, a little more special, since we can't actually be together. So some of you guys registered for our Easter bags that we sent out to the community and to you guys to bring that little extra joy to your home. Um, others of you, like the Hiddle House, we decided today we're still going to get in our Easter bets to celebrate. Um, maybe some others of you, you guys decided like, man, this is the first Easter I'm staying in my raggy pajamas, and that's what you've decided to do today. Whatever creative way that you decide to add a little joy to this Easter, thank you for allowing Calvary Church to be part of it. Um, and so my biggest hope, though, is that by the end of this time of teaching, when you click out of that browser, that you're going to have just a sense of joy and a clearer understanding of the hope that we really have in Jesus. And hope is a big word. I mean, we use it in a variety of different ways. And in different times of my life, I have hoped differently on different occasions for many different things. So I would love to know right now what you've hoped for or maybe presently hoping for. Let us know in the comments below or right over here. Um, and let us really, I mean, I'm slowing down right now just for you. I'd love for us to see what we're all differently hoping for. Maybe it's just that COVID would end. Maybe it's that you could get a better handle on doing this homeschool thing with your kids, or maybe it would be that um, work would start going easier. Whatever you are hoping for, I would love to see that. So please take a moment, throw it in the comments for us all to kind of see what we're all going through together. As a young adult, though, I, I had some hopes. I hoped I would marry Catherine because we had started dating. She seemed to like me. I thought it was going in a good direction. So I had this hope that I would marry Catherine. As a parent, I hope that um, I don't give Felix a giant counseling bill in the future. I hope as best as I can that we can keep it nice and small for him. Um, and as a grown adult male, I hope to own a motorcycle someday. And I think what's important to see here is that my desire for a spouse or a well-adjusted child or a toy for a grown man are desires that are not created equal. You know, I would even go as far to say that one of those things really isn't even a hope. It's more of a wish. And the simple divider between a wish and a hope is this. A wish is something we desire to happen. And a hope is having grounds for believing something might actually pass. A few years back, um, I had a friend, Nate. He and I, we built a garden together in the back of our church. And he was a great, great teacher. And I was a pretty eager student. Nate gave me all the necessary tools and knowledge that I needed to build raised beds, to make rows, to mound up different vegetables, to mulch, to lay weed barriers, how to water and compost. In that first year, we had like this huge bounty. It was fantastic. We had tomatoes, different types of peppers, cucumbers, melons, potatoes. I love gardening and potatoes because it's like a treasure hunt. 
it's like you build this mound and you stick a potato in there. And by the end of the season, it's just like you were digging through the ground for these brown clumps of whatever you're going to turn them to mashed, whatever, you know, it's great. Anyway, we had carrots, we had herbs, but the second year was a little bit different. So Nate moved away, but I still had this hope. Like I had learned all this stuff. So I had this hope, this grounds for belief that I could still garden without Nate. So I rotated my plants to make sure the soil was still healthy. I laid my mulch in the weed barriers just like the year prior. I had made a watering schedule. And after planting my beds, I had this big hope that I would see the same bounty that we had the year before. But guys, I was totally blindsided. That summer began as one of the driest our area had experienced in years. And when it did rain, it was like this torrential downpour and my mulch trapped way too much moisture, which caused my peppers and my tomatoes to suffer blight. And to make matters worse, this platoon of brown squirrels made this like offensive move and my pellet rifle and my strategic traps were no match. So by mid-July, I had completely given up hope. It was like done. I was like, I don't have enough hours in the day or pellets in my rifle to get rid of these ground squirrels. There was no way anything was going to grow. They were chewing up everything if it was even growing. And hope is a really great thing when you have grounds for belief. And when those grounds seem secure, man, hope is fantastic. But when those grounds start to wash away, hope changes and it turns into devastation. And devastation, that like bitter and violent death of hope, is how the Easter story begins. For hundreds of years, the small nation of Israel suffered under the thumb of ancient like foreign superpowers. We're talking the Babylonians. We're talking the Assyrians. And in the first century, at the time of Jesus, the Romans were like the big bad boy on stage. And for nearly a millennium, Israel was waiting for this oppression to be lifted because of a hope that they had. What were they hoping for? They hoped for a Messiah. Their ancient Jewish scriptures had predicted that a special king was going to come. That king or this Messiah would be a descendant of their greatest king ever, King David. And he, this king, this new Messiah, would be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. Sounding familiar? He would bring freedom to the oppressed, healing to the broken. He would bring peace to our chaotic world. And that's where we can cue Jesus. So Jesus showed up and he fit the bill for all of these prophecies. And when his miraculous work of like giving sight to the blind or making the lame walk or turning a Lunchable into an all-you-can-eat buffet for thousands of people were added to that equation, these big rumors started to spread that Jesus was the Messiah. At times, thousands and thousands of people followed Jesus, hoping he would bring them freedom from Roman oppression. But Jesus wasn't really meeting their expectations. See, they wanted Jesus to lead this like violent military conquest to punch Rome in the jaw and get them out of Israel. But Jesus was not concerned with waging a war on Rome. Jesus concerned himself with teaching people a new way to be fully human. 
to be free from dead religious burdens, to be free from guilt, free from shame, to be faithful and obedient to their compassionate God. Jesus's goal, his mission, was to free us from sin. That falls in the category of all of those things. And when these misaligned strategies for bringing about peace and justice were in conflict, the masses and one of Jesus's closest followers were easily convinced to betray Jesus. Jesus was sold for a small sum of money. He was illegally tried at night and convicted of crimes he never committed. He was physically abused. He was stripped naked and thus sexually degraded in front of people. He was marched up a hill, pinned to a cross, and left to hang. And it was there, next to common criminals, that Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Jews, died. And with him, the hope of the world was lost. If he was supposed to be a warrior king, the coup was over. If he was a religious reformer that was going to bring freedom to oppressed people, the reform was over. And if to the faithful few who still knew Jesus, their friend, to be the Messiah, his death meant their friend and their great hope for peace was dead to chaos. The Messiah was tragically murdered and buried on Friday. Their close friend Jesus laid hopelessly and stiffly in a tomb all day on Saturday. But our story begins on a Sunday. If you're reading along with me this morning or want to, please open your Bibles or pull up your app. We're looking at Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be in verses 4 through 10 this morning. And it starts this way. After the Sabbath, which is a Saturday, at the dawn of the first day of a week, which is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There are four biographies about Jesus. We call them Gospels. These women in each of these Gospels or the four biographies are always the first to see the tomb. Some of them say that they came to finish burial rites. Another says they come to mourn, but whatever the reason, for years, the fact that these women went to the tomb that morning has always struck me. Because in their grief, in their hopelessness, they still wanted to be near their dead Jesus. I mean, they had no reason to think he would be alive at all. I mean, death um, was as permanent in the first century as it is today. These ladies went to mourn to finish these rites, to see his tomb. But the following event that they experienced was totally unexpected. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards guarding the tomb were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
there are a few key phrases in this story I don't want us to miss. The first, violent earthquake. They were walking to the tomb and the earth was shaking at its foundations. Like lightning. Earthquakes and lightning, that sounds a little extreme to me. But the other one is so afraid. This Easter scene was far from bunnies, far from colored eggs, far far from neon grass-filled baskets. To say that this event was a surprise totally under-describes the scene. What Mary Magdalene and Mary saw was so cataclysmic that battle-hardened men dropped to the dirt in horror. They passed out. So to keep the woman from the same temporary fate, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And I say, man, angel, too late. For I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going to meet you ahead in Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. On Easter morning, The only hope Jesus's followers had left was that at the very least, they knew where his stiff and lifeless corpse would be. But when they went, it was gone. He was not there. He rose. And just in case the earthquake, just in case the lightning and the angel and the fainted guards don't convince these women that Jesus is alive and well, the angel invited them, look inside the tomb. The tomb is empty. Death was not there. Hope was growing. So where was he? I mean, this had to have been the thought that was running through Mary Magdalene and Mary's head. And the answer is Galilee, where it all started, where Jesus... (laughs) where Jesus and his disciples, where he called them to begin with. Jesus was back in Galilee with a new beginning to finish what he had started. Death was defeated, and at the angel's order, the women hurried away from the tomb. Afraid, yet filled with joy, they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And man, I just want to pause here because if I ever die and come back from the dead, I don't, I mean, I don't want to criticize Jesus, but like, hey, is kind of a little anticlimactic. How about like, here I am, or like, ta da? I think that would have been way better. Anyway, Jesus, you can do what you want. So suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. There are two things, two things I want us, every single one of us listening to hear this morning. And the first is simply this, hope grows. I find it ironic that in another one of the biographies about Jesus, these women mistake him for a gardener. And the purpose of every gardener is to bring like 
flourishing life to hopeless plots of dead soil. A few weeks after I had surrendered my raised bed to the ground squirrels from hell and harsh drought, I walked back to see what sort of nightmare had sprouted out of the ground. I expected weeds galore, but what I saw instead was completely shocking to me. Some of the unlikely fruit was actually thriving. In a corner of my garden, I had saved a spot where the dirt was too low to start composting. Composting is what you do with spoiled fruits, things that you're not going to use, table scraps. You throw it all in one bin, and eventually, as decomposition happens, it turns back to dirt. But in that tomb for dead fruit, I saw flowers sprouting out of the ground. And those flowers gave me a grounds for a new hope. Because flowers become fruit, and fruit would eventually make its way into sandwiches, into salsas, and stews. Hope was growing, and tomatoes. Mary also had new grounds for hope. Her supposed prophetic king died. He was buried, and he went missing, and after an angelic being rocked the earth and declared him alive, hope couldn't help but grow. So 2,000 years later, what does this mean for us? I don't know each and every single person that is watching, but I know this. All of us experience death every single day. Another way we kind of call it sometimes in the church is sin. Anger is the death of peace. Sorrow is the death of joy. Loneliness is the death of friendship. Somehow, some way, death finds us all. And if you can be so bold right now where you are, I want to encourage you, we're slowing down again, to share what death you are experiencing. What sin maybe has trapped a part of your life. What is it? I mean, maybe you feel like your sanity is dying to homeschooling. Maybe you feel like freedom is dying to being sheltered at home. Or maybe you feel like rest is dying to the busyness of news or being an overworked medical professional. Or maybe your rest is dying because of anxiety and worry. Whatever it is, I want to invite you to share it and let all of us know that we're not alone in this fear, in these emotions in this death. I ask for these confessions because Jesus's return means death is beaten. If Jesus could make life out of death, then these emotions, these fears, these frustrations are fertile soil for hope to grow out of. Jesus will grow rest in the weary, freedom in the trapped, love in the lonely, and just like he grew joy in Mary's grief, Mary's belief that Jesus was alive brought her face to face with Jesus. Hope grows. When we hope, when we look at our situation, when we see that maybe we can trust these facts that Jesus is alive, we can have grounds for belief that maybe what we are stuck in is not permanent, but maybe hope will grow out of that. 
And the second thing, that is number one, hope grows. The second thing, number two, is that Jesus knows who is running to him. Jesus knows what you were going through. I want to tell you, Jerusalem was a week's journey from Galilee. Mary Magdalene ran straight from the tomb to find Jesus. She ran. It is like a meme right now to say like, oh, I'm not a marathon runner. So unless you're like Dave Dignan, everyone can understand this. Running is uncomfortable, but running is bold. Running is deliberate. Running is not accidental and neither is hope. Remember, it has grounds for belief. So Jesus saw Jesus saw her intention and he didn't wait. Jesus saw, he knew that Mary was not going to let anything stop her from coming face to face with Jesus in Galilee. So he's like, why wait till then? Right there on the path, 90 miles before Galilee, he met with Mary. And I want to tell you guys this morning, for some of you, Jesus wants to meet you today, not in a week from now, not in a year from now, today. He wants to meet with you. I'll get to that in a second, but let's keep going on. Because earlier in this book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, this biography that Matthew wrote, Jesus was talking to a massive crowd about what his coming kingdom, what freedom from sin would look like. And he shared this with us. We're looking at Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The simple principle here is the same as Jesus demonstrated to the women at the tomb. If you are eagerly, decidedly, intentionally searching for hope in Jesus, he will not ignore you. He knows your knocking. He sees your running. He hears your calling. Jesus conquered death to remove every barrier that stands between you and God. Jesus returned from the grave. It shows us that nothing in hell or on earth, and certainly no global pandemic, would stop Jesus from rescuing you rescuing you. Rescue. It means we're caught someplace that we didn't intend to be. It means he's pulling us out of a place, out of his own decision to save us, to save you, to save me from pain that we put ourselves in. And the thing is, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve to be rescued. We don't deserve hope. We don't deserve a new life. The thing is, we actually deserve the death that Jesus suffered. And this isn't a popular thing to talk about or to hear today, but the death we experience every day, the sin that we experience that we're stuck in, is totally our fault. I want to say before I go on that, sure, Some of us have suffered injustices. Some of us have suffered pain at the hand of someone else. And I want you to know that Jesus offers you great grace and peace from those circumstances. 
and he will hold accountable whoever wronged you. It is his justice to make. But we would be fools to think that every one of our sour friendships, every money problem, every bad grade, every frustration or disappointment we experience, we would be fools to think all of that all the time is someone else's fault. We are grossly imperfect people. Like it or not, we are answerable. We are responsible for every decision we make. And to make matters worse, no matter, no amount of good that we do can outweigh the wrong that is in our life. The wrong, no matter how big or how small, is, is it, that's what makes us imperfect people. And imperfect people cannot find perfect peace alongside a perfect God who resides in a perfect heaven. The two cannot match. Imperfect people, like blighted or, or squirrel-chewed fruit, are destined for an eternal compost pile we theologically call hell. And we deserve it. Unless, unless there is someone to rescue us. Unless we allow hope to grow because we trust in the things that we have seen and heard. Unless we leave death and run to our rescuer. Unless we accept Jesus as our king, who took the punishment for our wrong and by beating death can free us from it and make us perfect. I began this morning with the idea of hopes and wishes. Wishes being those things, those dreams we have that might not ever pass. And hope being the grounds for belief that what we have experienced will bring us something in the future. Jesus' world wished he would make their circumstances better. Fewer taxes, less oppression, more freedom. They wanted him to be the sort of king he never came to be. Jesus did not want to give us more money. He didn't come to give us more money. He didn't come to give us simply less hardship. And he didn't come to give us a license to do whatever we want to do. Jesus came to change us from the imperfect to the perfect. Before Jesus, Mary Magdalene, the same Mary who was the first to be at Jesus' tomb, she lived a hellish life. Scripture tells us that she was possessed by seven demons. One is pretty bad. I can't imagine what seven was like. And so for years, she was tormented by seven ravenous beasts of the underworld. And then she met Jesus, and they fled forever, never to return. Her life was different. Mary Magdalene was at that tomb that morning because she had nowhere to go. She had no life, remembered no life apart from Jesus. To be with a dead Jesus was better than being with no Jesus at all. I want to tell you guys this morning, we don't have a dead Jesus. 
We have a Jesus who is alive, who is well, who is powerful and beyond and above every problem we experience. And he came to change us from the inside out. Many of us come from places, from backgrounds, from circumstances, from hurts and abuses that might make a new life seem totally impossible. And that, my friend, is what makes hope in Jesus the greatest joy of Easter because he accomplished the impossible. Need I say it again? He rose from the dead. That doesn't happen, and yet he did it. There are four accounts of this one. A tax collector who's obsessed with numbers and money wrote down the details. Another, a doctor who, my gosh, could you imagine a doctor recording something so idiotic that a dead man rose from the dead and was alive again? These are four biographical accounts of a story that happened. If you are here this morning, and you feel like it is about time for some of that hope to grow up in your life, I want to invite you, as Jesus invited all of us, to come and follow him. And if you want to make that decision this morning, above there is that button that says connect. I want to invite you to click on it. Fill out that connect card. There is a spot that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. Hit that. Let us know that you have made that decision. And one of us as pastors will follow up with you this week and give you some next steps on what following Jesus is like. And if any of you were fortunate enough to grab one of our Easter bags this week and you've made this, you want to make that same decision, make a reminder to yourself that hope needs to grow in your life, I want to encourage you to grab that Easy Care potted plant that we threw in there I want to encourage you to plant it and let it be a physical reminder in your life that growing hope is a process. There are some overnight changes when it comes to following Jesus. Sometimes just simply having joy is an overnight change. But there are times where our life is a process to becoming a new creation, a process to being more like him, just like it is a process for a seed for hope planted in dead soil to sprout out and grow and bear fruit that is good. As we wrap things up this morning, I want to invite all of us to pray for those that are clicking that connect button right now, to be praying for them. Pray with me that hope would take a deep root in our new family, in our new friends, that Jesus would take a root in all of us, in the places that we need great joy in this life. This is not in my notes, so I'm sorry it's clunky, or if it might be clunky, but there is one third thing I guess I wanna share about this Easter story, and this is for those of us that have lived in the church for a long time. The angel said, go and tell. Jesus said, Mary and Mary, go and tell. And in the same chapter, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he looks at us, his people, again and says, go, and, Mike, thanks for that, go and tell. 
It is our purpose as God's people. When we find this joy, this newness, this Holy Spirit happiness that comes on us, that when, when we know that we no longer have to live this hellish demon-possessed life like Mary had, when we have new life and life to the full, it is our duty, our job, our calling, and our great joy to share that with other people. So church people, this morning, do not let this just be another Easter. Let this be your commissioning to go and tell to leave the tomb this morning and let your brothers and sisters in the world know that Jesus is risen, that any death, any sin, he is ready to conquer. That is the joy of the Easter story because it wasn't just for a small few. In the years to follow, the church exploded throughout the ancient world. And today, 30% of our global population understands and knows Christ. And it is our hope right now during this season of COVID that that percentage would grow larger as the church has the biggest reach it ever has had at home digitally through avenues like this. So let's come together now and pray. Father, as we wrap things up this morning, we thank you for Easter. We thank you that you have done the impossible, that when we see impossible places in our life, whether it's old hurts, abuses, addictions, or fears of sharing your story, Father, we thank you that your conquering of death tells us that no fear, no trial, no shame, or guilt need remain in our lives. Father, we pray today for those of us that have made the decision to follow you. We pray that you would turn that decision into a lifelong journey and story of hope growing. And Father, for those of us that have been in the church for years, but have yet to go and tell, Father, I pray that this Easter would be our commissioning, our ceremony of new purpose to go and tell just like you were starting over, continuing your work in Galilee, Father, I pray that we would see this morning as that same event. And we ask this in your mighty and holy name. Amen. All right, church, thank you so much for being with us this Easter Sunday.